Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi, Bill, how are you this week? I'm doing great, uh, just coming off of a pleasant Easter weekend, so, uh, and back at it. That's right, and you know, we have some exciting things coming up. We have Lab Week, which is April 24th through 30th, so everyone in the lab gets to celebrate. Of course, across the country, people are doing contests and games. I even participated in a microbiology Pictionary, which wow. is fun. And I won't tell you who won. You'll have to watch the video if you're interested, but that'll be posted on the first part of Lab Week. So yeah, lots of fun things going on. Yeah, well, honestly, it's great to be able to celebrate with all of our colleagues in the clinical laboratories. It's been a long couple of years for healthcare and the labs certainly right sort of at the eye of the storm in some res many respects. So yeah, let's make sure that we take this week to really connect with each other, celebrate our profession, celebrate the wonderful people that make our profession special. So yeah, but I did not participate in any organized games. So <laughs> you're going up on me on that one. Yeah, it was fun. It was challenging being on the spot trying to draw uh, on a Zoom whiteboard with my mouse. So if anyone wants to join and watch that, they can uh, rate me on my artistic skills. Yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> I'm definitely high. glad I wasn't on there. That would not rate highly. I yeah. can tell you that much. But you're right. We've been through a lot. And of course, the pandemic isn't over yet. But there's some news there. And we haven't talked about COVID for a while, which has been a nice break. But I do think we should cover it this week and just give some updates. There's been a number of different things going on. Yeah, that'd be great. I was just thinking, as you were saying it, is it, what are some of the new things that are with COVID? Where do we stand now? Yeah, well, I'll give you some statistics because you know I like numbers. Cases are going up a little bit. It's been a 32% increase in cases over the past couple of weeks. Cases are up in over 30 states, but hospitalizations are down. So it's interesting, modeling, including modeling that's been done here at Mayo Clinic, projects further increases, but we're not necessarily seeing a connection to increasing hospitalization rates. So that's a little bit of a silver lining, I suppose. Definitely. And it seems that the increase in cases that we're seeing are probably due to some of the Omicron subvariants like BA2 that have some increased transmissibility and immune escape. But mm -hmm. to your point, I think uh, one of the things that we really were hopeful for with the pandemic were really to get past the impact that it could have to really make a lot of people sick and needing hospitalization. And it looks like the early data suggests that we might be seeing that at least with the strains which are now circulating. Yeah, you know, I think we are at this stage where we know the virus, the disease, COVID is not going to be eliminated. It will be something that we'll live with. We are going to continue to see new variants arising. That's just the nature of an RNA virus, much like we see with influenza every year. 
And I think it's going to come down to this stage where now individuals really have to assess and determine their own level of risk and their own uh, comfort level when they're going out and about and act accordingly. We still have some guidelines on mask wearing, but I think people need to also consider their own comfort level and they may want to wear masks in settings even when they're not required. Of course, continuing all of the other precautions like we've been talking about, washing your hands, et cetera, but it's not necessarily going to be a one size fits all for the recommendations going forward. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that might be one thing that confuses people is they might hear about case rates going up, but they won't see anything coming out about masking or recommendations for masking in their, in their area. And again, because the CDC and its updated guidelines in anticipation of this hopeful disconnect between case numbers and hospitalization, it's not just the case numbers, but it's also hospitalization and how full the hospitals are that drive some of the CDC recommendations on masking. And to your point, it's one that we just it really does feel like we're getting into a point where a lot of it's predicated on your own personal risk tolerance and also your own health conditions, obviously, for someone that is susceptible to severe COVID infection because of immune suppression or something else, something you need to take into account. So that's where we are. Of course, the masking for travel, that was extended for air travel, which is, again, is in recognition that we are completely through the pandemic, that we still see cases going up. And I think it's probably the, the appropriate level of caution at this point. So yeah, it, it'll be confusing for some people because it's more nuanced, the recommendations, but ultimately to your point, it really should revolve around your own assessment. And again, talk to providers. You do a great job of having information on Twitter. I try and do the same to really understand what your risks are. Cause one of my concerns is, and I did tweet about it. There's more, you know, we've seen this sort of this pervasive anxiety that COVID has introduced. So make sure it's, a, it's good to be cognizant of your concerns and fears but also to really reach out and be informed about what your risks really are. I think that's important yeah. at this point. I agree. Talking to your own healthcare provider, they're going to know your history best and what your risks are. And you mentioned travel. I'm going to be doing some travel. I think it is still a wise move to have masks, uh, mandatory masking when you're in a tight space with a lot of other people, especially when people are traveling from all around the world. You don't know where people are coming from when you're on that plane with them. And just a quick review of the variants that are popping up. They pop up in different parts of the world, especially areas where there's a lot of virus and not a lot of vaccination. Right now in the United States, the BA2 variant makes up 85.9% of US cases. The remainder is the BA1.1. And then we have a little bit of some other variants, but now there's these new sister variants, they've been called BA4 and BA5, that were both detected first in South Africa, but now they're found in Europe, Botswana, England. So that's being monitored by the CDC and WHO. Potentially concerning because they have a, a single mutation that could make vaccines less effective. So again, getting back to just maybe you know, when you're traveling, you're around a lot of other people, having some level of protection and knowing your own risk. We also have some of these new love childs, as they've been called, of different combinations of variants, like the BA1 and BA2 has combined to form this variant called XE, which may spread slightly more rapidly than the BA2 variant. So again, this is an RNA virus. We're going to continue to see more variants as the pandemic progresses. That's right. And it's just something hopefully we'll work through. I mean, that's one reason why the CDC and WHO are remaining vigilant because by and large, it appears that the variants are not causing the same increase in hospitalization, but 
we're still not completely out of the woods yet. So we need to keep her in the ground, need to keep doing things like the masking during travel. And also during travel, you mentioned it, is one of the things that we're going to have to deal with and manage is this difference in the United States between areas and your own comfort level. And there's still big differences between countries. So if you are traveling internationally you have to pay attention to that, some you have to get some a QR code before you can enter the country as a, for instance. And of course, remembering if you're traveling back to the United States, you'll still need a negative test within 24 hours of your, within a day, they don't even say hours. So it's a little confusing. So it's more, to be honest, it's more confusing for people. It's just something you just have to include as part of your planning now that we didn't pre-pandemic. But there's continued innovation as well. I, I don't know if you saw there was a new test that got EUA approval that was rather unique. Is this the breath test? Yes, yes. Yeah. Very interesting. Something that they've been looking at in things like tuberculosis for a while, but this is new for COVID. Yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so actually, interestingly, this is something that was really being looked at pre-pandemic uh, was breath as an analyte. Uh, you <laughs> mentioned tuberculosis. There's actually now looking at cancer, lung cancer screening. The way all these tests work is that as we expire, there are volatile organic acids to be specific that are part of, that represent kind of what's in our aerodigestive tract. And there's been an interest for a long time in testing for these and understanding them. The difficulty has been in really finding a very disease specific signature. So even early days of, of the pandemic, I know that there was an Israel, I think an Israeli-based company that was looking at this for travel, mm -hmm. just didn't look to be, you know, have the, the performance characteristics were not robust enough to really roll it out. But what I read about this one, it seems like they've overcome those with over 99% specificity and about 93% sensitivity or something like that. So mm -hmm. this could, again, be another real game changer. And you start to think about continued public health surveillance and traveling and the sorts of things, as well as health screening. I mean, this is something we could really see another things that has potential to really take off. We don't know, but it was just a very interesting development, I thought. Yeah, I agree. When I read that, I thought, wow, this really shows how when there are emergencies, people come together and novel solutions arise. You're right. This looks like it has the sensitivity that has overcome previous barriers. And it's this test, if it could be widely rolled out, does have greater sensitivity than the rapid antigen test that everyone's using. Yeah, now, the yeah. problem right now is it's a large device. They say it's about the size of a carry-on luggage, like a suitcase. So not something you'd want to like have in your house necessarily, but the test only takes three minutes. So that's just the first iteration. I think eventually you could have smaller devices. Right now, though, this is something that could be at a point of care center, like an express care clinic, or hospital lab and a rapid result with results in less than three minutes. I mean, that's better than any of our PCR tests. Yep. Yeah. And I know the other thing that was, it was in, of interest in, in air travel again, early on about screening. So that's, you could see this as maybe even being a potential screening type of a device as well. So all sorts of new diagnostic modalities in the post-COVID world. As you said, we're still dealing with COVID. But I think we at least can start to think about what it looks like here on the other side. Yeah, you know, that's a great thing to end on, I think, is some of the advances that we have made. So new diagnostics, new methodologies, testing at home, and then the vaccines that were brought out um, safely, but so efficiently. And there's that new study by the Commonwealth Fund that just showed the impact that vaccines had in preventing death. And Bill, that was from your Twitter. So I know you know a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, essentially, they were able to go back and a sponsored study to look at 
with modeling just the, the impact. Because there's still a lot of debate how effective have the vaccines been? Because we hoped they would stop transmission. They didn't as much as we'd hoped. They did, they did dampen it. But what the study really showed was just the overall positive impact of the vaccines in terms of keeping people from getting sick, avoiding hospitalization, which is so important for the individual, but also for the healthcare system as a whole. It showed really that the economic impact of the vaccines in terms of preventing hospitalization and how we got significant millions of dollars of cost savings from that, not to mention the ability of people to stay at work and everything else. So it's something you should take a look at, particularly if you really want to know, gosh, what has the impact of the vaccines really been? I thought it was really just, that's why I tweeted it. I thought it was really interesting that it just showed that there really has been a major economic positive impact to the vaccine. And now, like you said, just another positive. You're wearing pink, I'm wearing lavender. So we're post-Easter, <laughs> we're in the season of renewal, and hopefully yes. the season of renewal includes looking beyond COVID here at some point. And hopefully it means spring and maybe some spring flowers here. Although in Minnesota, you know, I'm still looking out at gray and rain, but what is it? April showers, springs, May flowers, April snow showers. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Snow, but hopefully it'll be uh, flowers soon. Uh, yes, I was thinking about when you said it because there were some flakes this morning. <laughs> I, know. I learned that as a kid. I wasn't in Minnesota and I didn't associate snow with April showers, <laughs> but it's all good. Good. So it's all good. Next, next time we get to talk, hopefully it'll be sunny and green. So there's right. Go. Absolutely. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, thanks, Bill. I appreciate the optimism. It's so, great talking to you. Great catching up after Easter. Yep. Same to you, Bill. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.